People have asked me where to go if you really want to get to know Chicago, and my response is bars. And then talk to strangers at those bars. If they aren't busy, talk to the bartender. You can find out a ton about this amazing city at local pubs. This concept morphed into an idea for a podcast in which I visit bars around Chicago, discussing the history of the bar as well as the neighborhood in which the bar resides. For this, I try to talk with bartenders, bar owners, and patrons. Really, anyone willing to talk with me to find out more about the greatest city in the world. After kicking around these ideas with some friends, my pal Chris Wiggins came up with the title, which I'll get to in a moment. Now, I'm not quite ready to launch a separate podcast. Let's be honest, there are still a bajillion Chicago history stories to discuss, but I thought I'd give you all a little taste of what I have in mind. I may sprinkle these Chicago Bar episodes throughout the regular Chicago history podcast season, which I hope you enjoy. So let's get to it. I'm Tommy Henry, and this is One on Every Corner the Chicago Bars Podcast. Eight and a half miles north of downtown Chicago is Andersonville, known for its Swedish roots, historic architecture, and is, according to the Andersonville.org website, recognized as the, quote, shop local capital of Chicago, end quote, supporting the largest network of local and independent businesses in the area. Andersonville is also home to one of Chicago's largest LGBTQ plus populations. My guest today is Robert Larzel, a freelance journalist and photographer in Chicago. He has written for just about every publication you can think of in Chicago and is also a great follow on Twitter and Instagram, where his pictures of birds, beavers, and a variety of other things he sees while out in our amazing city has amassed him quite a following. His historical nonfiction book, Alchemy of Bones, Chicago's Lutgert Murder Case of 1897, was published in 2003 by the University of Chicago Press. Most recently, he was nominated for a Chicago Midwest Emmy in the category of Best Writing for his work on the WTTW Chicago Stories episode, The Union Stockyards. Robert suggested we meet at 5210 North Clark Street in Andersonville at a bar called Simon's, which is easy to spot with its bright blue and yellow neon sign featuring a fish holding a martini. My first question for Robert Lorzel, how did we end up at Simon's? Well, I chose Simon's uh, as a place to visit and talk about just because it's one of the my regular drinking spots. Robert is a big-time music fan and enjoys Simon's live music nights. The two that I like to come see, uh, one is called Expo 76, which is... And these are both cover bands, which I normally wouldn't really be that interested in, but they're cover bands with really outstanding musicians that have a lot of um, experience and are really great musicians. So um, uh, Expo 76 is led by Doc Julian, who's also in Poor Dog Pondering. And uh, many, many years ago, he was the leader of an a indie rock band that I loved called The Slugs from late 80s, early 90s, that era. For people who've never been here, and I'll have pictures up on uh, social media pages, it's, it's not a big space for bands. There's oh, no yeah. stage. They have to kind of drop the tables down and squeeze in the, the bands you know, as they can. 
and and usually the crowd is kind of pushed up against the band essentially because yeah. you know not a lot of space. It's a very long narrow bar, uh, but it's cool that they offer that. I mean, it feels like being in a roadhouse in the 1960s somewhere in Wisconsin or something and you walk in and, and there's some band playing and you might not necessarily expect the band in a room like that to be great and then you start listening to it and like wow these yeah. guys know how to play guitar and yeah. keyboards and people who come into Simon's for the first time when I have brought friends in they go what is this place it looks like an old Wisconsin bar from the 60s you know yeah. and then uh, obviously, it has a much deeper history than that. But when you look at the old slit signs and the, the the stuffed bear head and some of the other you know quirky things and the peeling wallpaper, a lot of wood. Well, it's not peeling know. wallpaper; it's a peeling mural. Oh, the, peeling the, mural. mural! Yes, sorry. Uh, yeah, is a. It's been big, here big, yeah. forever. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a million years. It's super interesting to to see, and obviously. I asked Robert if he remembered his first time at Simon's and whether he thought this is the place for me. You know, I, it's hard. I don't remember when was the first time I came in here, but uh, I remember having you know reacting this to all the things you're describing. Sure, it's just it's it's visually I like being so an much old place. In. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. and in a similar way to, I mean, there's another classic place not too far from here, uh, the Green Mill. Um, and one thing I like about both of these places is that the, the, the decor is this kind of mishmash of just old stuff thrown together. The way rooms get thrown together yeah. over the years. Yeah, you know, sure. If you were a Hollywood set designer trying to come up with, like, what's an old bar in Chicago look like? You probably wouldn't come up with this odd combination yeah. of things that you find here or right. what you see in the... And the Green Mill. Yeah. They're both very distinctive places that have evolved over the years as people add things to the walls and shelves. And, and now well, right. And, forever. And, and you get different management or different workers who come in and they go, oh, you know what this place really needs? A stuffed owl or, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. And you go, okay, last guy might not have included that, but the current guy uh, thinks it's a good idea. And so uh, there it is. Has there ever been a time uh, that you've walked into a Chicago bar and thought, this is not the place for me. Or is there something when you walk in, you go, I'm not staying? Well, the the sports bar vibe where um, not all sports bars, but a sports bar where there's like 30 TVs on yeah. <laughs> is not my thing, yeah. you know. Yeah. And actually here, one of the interesting, another interesting thing about Simon's is that they have a TV in the corner. I imagine if there's a big sports event that's of interest to Chicago, you know, that would might be on the TV sure. here. But typically, they've got, like, Turner Classic Movies or something around. Yeah, I think and, the and a lot of, finger was on yeah, when I came yeah. in. So. So, some, so a lot of times they're sitting there watching the band and, and tension's wandering over to the TV occasionally and the question is, wait, what, what movie is that yeah. that's playing, you know? Yeah. And after a while, you figure out, like, oh, this looks familiar. I've seen this film before. Which one is it? Yeah. <laughs> Robert made things easy for me by doing research before he arrived, which came as no surprise, and brought notes. One thing about this building that's interesting is that uh, the front of it and the uh, bar itself are designed to look like uh, a particular steamship, the SS Normandy. Which I wasn't familiar with. I have no idea when it 
it was set the sail when it was in use. Largest ocean liner in the 1930s, and it was considered like a very luxurious thing to travel on. Oh, it. okay. And so uh, the Swedish Americans uh, who like to drink at Simon's, uh, I think the idea was is kind of like trying to make the place look like this luxury ship, so that when you're coming in here, it's like being in the these luxurious surroundings. Yeah. Although, like as it's. I mean, it doesn't look run down, but it doesn't feel exactly like you're in... in uh, I, I like, don't feel like... Like yeah. you're surrounded by gold or anything no, like that. No, I, I don't feel like someone's going to come up and, and uh, I don't know, you know, offer to turn down my bed. You know, there's some, some nice glass work. There's a lot of uh, dolphins, whales. There's a lot of aquatic themes uh, within the bar. Um, so super cool. And, 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 the, and the fish that's drinking uh, in the neon sign out in front. Yes. So it's like a fish holding a martini. And I've read, this is one of those things you read online and like, well, yeah. maybe this is true that like it's supposed to be a pickled herring and that oh. the idea of like being pickled, pickled is like being drunk. It's but it's like loose. the fish looks like it's alive while it's drinking. So I don't know that it's really yeah. a pickled herring or if someone yeah. just made that up. Fish drink alcohol and get boozed up. Now, if you're wondering if Simon's is named after someone, the answer is yes. The original owner and namesake of the bar is Simon Lundberg. His portrait hangs over the jukebox, and his likeness is also featured in the peeling mural we mentioned. Lundberg emigrated from Sweden in the early 20th century and became a citizen by fighting for the U.S. in World War I. After the war, he opened a small grocery store that served coffee called the Burwood Food Shop on Berwyn Avenue, where Rinaldi's of Andersonville is now. During Prohibition, Lundberg allegedly received an opportunity by local bootleggers to sell whiskey with his coffee. Lundberg agreed and soon was making more money selling his boozed-up coffee than he was food. Soon he was able to move to a bigger space at the tavern's current address. That building previously housed a bakery, but Lundberg transformed it into his second grocery store and moved his family upstairs. For the locals who wanted more than coffee and whiskey, a speakeasy was run out of the basement called the NN Club, or No Name Club, which even had its own entrance directly accessible from the alley. Once Prohibition ended, Lundberg turned the grocery into Simon's Tavern, officially opening in 1934. We'll be right back. Are you a Caribbean American? Are you looking for a podcast that truly speaks to your culture and identity? Look no further than Carry On Friends, the ultimate destination for all things Caribbean American. Hosted by me, Carrie Ann. Dive deep into topics such as culture, heritage, and everyday life through the unique lens of the Caribbean American experience. You'll walk away feeling more connected to your roots. Follow and listen on Apple Podcasts so you'll never miss an episode of Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American experience. Your Caribbean American community awaits. I'm reading uh, the Daniel Okrent book about Prohibition right now, mm. and uh, it obviously just was a time period of incredible hypocrisy. I mean, like right from the beginning when, when Congress and the legislators passed the Prohibition Amendment, half the people voting for it were people who were drinking and knew that they were going to continue drinking once the law passed. It was just kind of, we're going to put in the Constitution this 
plank of hypocrisy that will say that one thing is illegal even though we know people are going to keep doing it it's yeah. like they, they, it was uh, it seems like it was destined to fail from the very beginning robert and i spent a bit of time discussing prohibition and the temperance movement which i'll likely include in an extras episode before we moved on to the vast number of bars in chicago in the early 1900s and their place in everyday lives they also i mean they served a number of purposes the, the, there were um there weren't very many restaurants back then. Mm. Places you would go to to eat out. And bars began serving food. And, and there was a tradition actually of having free, like they would have cold cuts and sandwiches out basically as a way of luring people to buy drinks. But it's like, hey, if you wanted a, if you wanted a sandwich for lunch, it's like you can get it for free or almost nothing at some local tavern. Yeah. Well, um, I'm going to get a beer anyway, so I might as well get a fresh, uh, you know, a, a free sandwich yeah. with it. And then, you know, it was also very common at that time for uh, factory workers to get a beer at lunchtime. Um, so there was the, you know, people getting growlers or buckets of beer. One of the controversies was that there was a, a tradition of factory workers paying a couple bucks for a boy to run to the neighborhood bar and come back with a bucket of beer. And of course, you know, some of these boys would sample some of the beer on the way. Sure. <laughs> yeah, your nine-year-old kid comes home a little sauced up. Maybe yeah, that's not yeah, so but, great. You know, if a kid earns a it was probably wasn't a dollar. It's was probably more like a nickel. Yeah. yeah. In addition to serving beer and food, Simon's was also a place where locals could go to cash a check. Well, that's another example of the functions that a tavern played in society that it wasn't just the place you go to get drunk although you wonder like i mean it's a stereotypical thing you see in a million old movies and, and novels that the uh in a family the husband who like goes to cash a check and then like spends a lot of it drinking uh i, I wouldn't be surprised mean, if that happened <laughs> right I, I think that had to kind of you know it's almost as a way of saying thanks for cashing my check let me get a beer while i'm here before i go home Next thing you know, you've had more than one beer. You've <laughs> yeah, taken yeah. part in a game of you've poker. The, you've given back most of your uh, yeah. You've given back most of your your wages to the bar that cashed your check. It's kind of brilliant. This check cashing thing didn't come without risks. On Friday, October tenth, nineteen fifty eight, three masked men burst into Simon's, forcing the two bartenders to lie on the floor. Twenty five customers were told to keep their hands on the bar while the robbers emptied the cash register of one thousand five hundred and ten dollars. That's roughly fifteen thousand five hundred dollars in today's money. Nothing of value was taken from the patrons. Simon's owner, Simon Lundberg, had obtained the money an hour before in order to cash checks. Well, the other thing which we that I find fascinating here, uh, and we mentioned it briefly before, is the mural. The legend is that the mural is haunted, or the, and the bar may be haunted. haunted. Mural, right, right. So th there's the artist was Sigurd F. Olson, who is an author and wrote on environmental topics, but was also an artist. And so in this mural, I think it's based. It's supposedly based on a photograph, um, and you can see if you look in the painting. Part of the painting is set in a bar of some sort. And if you look at the window and the transom above the door to the bar, and the lettering on it is backwards because 
it's from the interior looking outside. Oh, okay. But the backwards lettering has has the name Northwoods Tavern on it. Oh. So the mural okay. in Simons is actually depicting a different bar, Northwoods Tavern, somewhere in Wisconsin, I oh, believe. See, it all comes and back so to these Swedish Americans had all gone there on a hunting trip. So in the part of the mural that's in the bar you see people dancing and, and some musicians performing and people sitting at tables drinking um, and then off on the other sides of the mural you see some scenes of deer out in the woods and there's this great part where uh, there's a hunter who has fallen asleep and he's like nodding off against a tree as a deer is standing there looking at him <laughs> but the and the mural right now is in bad shape because part of it's peeling off the wall. I don't know much about murals and what it would take. The, to the owner said in that. in a DNA info article from some some years back, he said that it would cost like thirty thousand to restore. I mean, I don't know if that's an accurate figure, but I really wish they would preserve it. There's a spot on the mural where you can see something was cut out. This shape of a person that's cut out, and then on the wall behind it or a canvas behind it, there's a there is a person there but the person who was like the mystery was like what was cut out of the mural sure um there are various legends about it but the uh the owner of the bar uh has talked about this that um there was an affair going on where the bar's owner uh was having an affair with a married woman and the married woman was the one depicted in the mural and the two of them went out partying one night got into a car crash and the woman died and then there was um, supposedly her husband and sons wanted to kill the owner of Simon's over this and as part of um, dealing with that he had her cut out of the mural but then Scott the bar's owner tells us subsequent adding to the spookiness of it years later in the 1990s when when the Owner, former owner of Simon's was on his deathbed. The part of the mural where he appears in it started to peel off the wall, like that day. Okay, now it's just kidding. It's spooky. <laughs> so Boy. that's why you see that. That's when the peeling started. Is haunted the- <laughs> mural though. I tried to find something to support some of this super wild story, but all I found was a newspaper article from August of 1958 about a car accident on a Highway 12 near Spring Grove, Illinois. That's about 64 miles north and slightly west of downtown Chicago. That involves Simon Lundberg's 32-year-old son, Roy. Roy Lundberg and three companions, Marie Lindahl, 51, John Paul, 61, and Pearl Henning, 50, were headed back to Chicago after spending the day in Twin Lakes, Wisconsin, when their vehicle collided head-on with another car. Mrs. Lindahl and Mr. Paul died at the scene, and Pearl Henning died before reaching McHenry Hospital. Lundberg suffered injuries in the crash, but later recovered. When the original owner and namesake Simon Lundberg died in 1970, his son Roy took over the bar, running the place for 24 years, until current owner Scott Martin stepped in in 1994. So, as I've said before, uh, I'm not a real believer in ghosts and haunted places, but then you hear stories like this and it's kind of a little spooky. Uh, I don't know that there are any ghosts involved, but you you do pick up certain vibes, or I do anyway, of um, 
knowing the history of something that happened in a place. And, even, and sometimes there's a, a plaque there to tell you what happened. Sometimes there's no trace of it at all. But just, you know, going to a street corner or a building where you've read about some historic event that happened there and just kind of looking around and you don't, you don't always get any sense of ghosts or historic vibe or something but it's just interesting yeah. I think to think back on to imagine like what was this place like in 1950 or 1903 well, or, or and, and certainly when, when you're in Simons there's a lot of old black and white pictures up along the walls and it gives you a nice view of what Clark Street used to look like you know back in the day and when it was truly Andersonville Swedish colony essentially in the middle of Chicago and you know, it's changed over the years. There's still plenty of Swedes in the area, but uh, different times. But it's interesting seeing how these places develop and how they keep their fan base and develop new fans and uh, keep things going. One of one of the things Simon is Simon's is uh, famous for in terms of drinks is that they every year right around Thanksgiving they start serving glog. I would have kicked myself had I not brought this up so I'm glad you did. Yeah, so that's the mulled wine and they serve, you know, there are uh, here I'm showing my ignorance of exactly what goes into it but uh, there are little little berries in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you drink from the glass without just drinking the liquid, you're going to have the berries at the bottom of the glass by the time you're done, and I usually eat those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they also serve it with a little cookie. I know they have a cold version of it that they do. I've heard tell of um, glug slushies uh, in the summer, but something about when it gets cold, coming in and, and getting yeah. a warm glass of that with the cookie. It's a nice thing. (laughs) It is rare that talk of bars and booze in Chicago doesn't include mention of Malort. So here's a quick explanation of Malort for those of you who may not be familiar with it. Malort was brought to the States in the early 1930s by a Swedish immigrant named Carl Jepsen. The flavoring ingredient in it is wormwood, a bitter botanical herb that reminds me of grapefruit. Fun fact, the Chicago flag on the label on Malort bottles has only three stars, as it predates the addition of the fourth star on the Chicago flag, which represents the Century of Progress exposition held in Chicago in 1933 and 1934. There are many Chicago bars that offer the Chicago Handshake, which is a shot of Malort and an old-style tall boy. When I go see live music, when touring musicians come to Chicago, you often see audience members trying to get them to drink Malort. <laughs> I've seen some musicians that come here from, you know, like Texas or Sweden or somewhere, and they're like, what was yeah, that drinking game? <laughs> so I recently saw the, um, there's a wonderful singer-songwriter from Kentucky. Her name is S.G. Goodman, and she performed at Shubas and was fantastic. And she's also one of these... Uh, musicians who uh, likes to tell stories and kind of with a wry sense of humor. I love to listen to her tell her stories in between the songs. And at one point she said she needed some Kentucky bourbon because she's from Kentucky and that's what she drinks. And someone from the audience was like, have a malort. And she, and, and her, and she went and along she, with Well, it? first she didn't know what it was. Yeah. And she's like, y'all trying to kill me. <laughs> Author Richard Lindbergh observed about Simons in his 1993 book, Passport's Guide to Ethnic Chicago, quote, 
This is the way a tavern used to be. No ferns, glass, or peppy waitresses. Escape the cold of winter or the heat of summer to trade gossip with someone you know. I think that holds true 30 years later. As for Andersonville, the neighborhood in which Simons has called home for nearly 90 years, in 2010, current Simons owner Scott Martin shared these thoughts with the Chicago Tribune. Quote, An old man a long time ago said, What makes a good neighborhood? He named all of these things. A church, a bakery, a butcher shop, a good bar. I think Andersonville has all of the old-fashioned neighborhood features in it. You don't have to drive anywhere. You can walk and find everything. I think there's a really big cooperation among everyone who works and lives there, too. Uh, Robert, this has been amazing. I think that uh, when it comes to history and certainly bars, I picked a great person for this first uh, episode of I don't know how many, but uh, I enjoy talking bars, I enjoy talking history, and uh, I think you crushed both. So thank you very much well, for being on today. And thanks for uh, thanks for having me on, and thanks for the beer. Thanks for listening to One on Every Corner, Simon's Tavern in Andersonville. This episode was written, recorded, and edited by me, Tommy Henry. Special thanks to Robert Larzel for taking time out of his schedule to share his knowledge and insights. And thanks to those who offered ideas about this podcast, including Todd M. Gans, Stephanie Young, and Laura Blacklock. Check out the Chicago History Podcast Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages for articles and pictures related to this episode and past episodes posted throughout the week. What do you think? Do you like the bar stories? Do you have a bar I should check out or one about which you'd like to know more? Leave me a voice message by going to chicagohistorypod.com and clicking on the microphone in the lower corner. Depending on the content, I may play your message on a future episode. Much of the original art for the Chicago History Podcast used on the social media pages was created by John K. Schneider. Thank you, John. He can be found at AngelEyesArtJKS on Instagram or via email at AngelEyesArtJKS at gmail.com. I will be back soon with more stories from Chicago's history, including its bars history. Until then, get out and explore when possible. Strike up a conversation with a local over a pint at a neighborhood pub. Learn more about whatever city you live in and stay safe.